The Apostle Paul's whole ministry is dedicated to the belief that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything, everything has changed. For Paul, it's not just that the cross of Christ was an event that revealed God's love for us. It's not just that now we have forgiveness and peace with God where before we were at odds. For Paul, the old reality, the old order, the old way of the world has come to an end in the crucifixion of the Messiah. And a new reality, a new order, a new way of being human, of being creation, has begun to be ushered in through the resurrection of Jesus. Paul is is captured by the conviction that in Christ there is a new creation. The old ways are passing away, are in the process of being ushered out, while in the place of the old, God is transforming the old into a new reality. So, for example, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. When we have this in mind, when we can see this, then we can see why Paul has such a radically negative reaction to what is happening in his absence to the churches he founded in Galatia. For these churches were almost exclusively non-Jewish, which is to say Gentile. And for Paul, it was a profound mistake for Gentile believers to be circumcised or to adhere to the dietary commandments not because the law was bad or because it was unwieldy, but because those were marks and signs of being in covenantal relationship with God in the old order. In this new age, at least for Gentiles, the law is no longer necessary and defining. And as such, from the the sections of the letter to the Galatians that we heard from this morning, Paul compares the law to a moral instructor intended to guide children in the ways of justice and right living in relation to God. They were important for a time, but for Gentile believers at least, they are no longer. Because now, in Christ, we stand in relation to God as children who have come of age. And in this new age, the faith of Jesus Christ, revealed in his crucifixion and resurrection, is now the defining mark of being in right relation to God. In Christ, faith is the source of our freedom. And our commitment to and trust in God becomes the subjective mark of the new thing God is doing. Faith is the subjective way of participating in 
the new creation that God has initiated. And we are objectively ushered into God's new thing through the waters of baptism. From our lesson this morning, Paul tells us that in baptism, we clothe ourselves with Christ. To be baptized is to, is to put on Jesus like we would put on a robe or like we would put on armor. Christ becomes the one in whom we find our life, both as individuals and corporately as a body, as the church. Paul saw baptism as both participation in Christ's death and resurrection and as an empowerment by the Holy Spirit to be agents in God's mission of transforming reality. It is baptism that empowers and compels us to live into the new creation that God is bringing forth. Now, with all of this said, it's a lot of theology. With all of this said, perhaps it is easy for us simply to see this as an intellectual exercise or as a, as a thought experiment about an antiquated worldview. But lest we miss the radical and life-altering nature of what Paul is proclaiming, Paul tells us that the sign of this new thing that God is doing goes to the very core of how we often define ourselves as human beings. For Paul declares, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Those opposites, they once defined the old order. They were the structure that made the universe stable and dependable. And Paul says, now, in Christ, these distinctions no longer define us. It's not that they are eliminated, but their passing is a participation in Christ's death. And to live into their absence is to live into God's new creation. The divisions that classify people, whether they be tribe or language, people or nation, social class or gender expression, none of these, none of these define us as human beings in God's new creation. But it's not just that these divisions no longer define us. We can no longer use them to promote or preserve entitlement and privilege. For Paul is not describing neutral distinctions here. Rather, in his context, these are divisions that assume hierarchy. In Paul's context, the Jew was superior to the Gentile in privilege. The free person was superior to the slave, the male to the female. But these are no more. 
As the theologian Elza Temez writes in her book, The Amnesty of Grace, for the believer, exclusion on the basis of privilege reaches its end in Christ. God has erased the hierarchies assumed in these distinctions in God's new creation. For the Christian, all hierarchies are relative and none are ultimately valid. Ultimately, no exclusion is possible. We are all equal before God, and we are all intended to be liberated and free before God. God's grace is intended to open up new expressions of human community that overcome the distinctions of race and class and gender. And of course, of course, this has radical implications for how we go about structuring our society. With all that is going on in the world, I cannot help in light of these scriptures this morning to think about immigrants and refugees. I cannot help but think of immigration raids announced for this weekend by ICE and major cities all across our nation, including our own. Are these not intended to terrify certain particular groups of people? Are these not intended to make distinctions of hierarchy in order to degrade and to demonize? Or think, think of the news this week of the abuse of children in our government's detention facilities. One report described the dire situation at a border station in Clint, Texas, which is holding hundreds of children. Many of those children have been held for nearly a month in atrocious and overcrowded conditions. These children are not given changes of clothes. They are not given a chance to bathe. Toddlers do not have diapers. Some children are sick, and they are not given adequate medical care. And while all the while, footage was released of one government lawyer arguing before judges that detained children do not need beds or soap or toothpaste in order for conditions to be considered safe and sanitary, which they must by law. You may say that the children whose parents broke the law are just, this is, they should, parents shouldn't have done this. But there's nothing proportionate about this sort of punishment. There's nothing proportionate about the laws that were broken being punished in this way. Now, you do not believe, need to believe in God's new creation to see all of this as abhorrent. I believe that, that all people of goodwill can see such degradation as an offense against human dignity. But we, we who look to follow the crucified Messiah, 
We can never be complacent in the face of such callousness and such cruelty. We who look to see beyond the hierarchies within humanity, to see Christ in all persons, must not make a distinction between immigrant and citizen. All, all are one in Christ. Jesus Christ claims your whole life. Your whole life. Every time we participate in baptism, we renew our baptismal covenant. We did it two weeks ago. And in doing so, every time we commit to work for justice and peace among all people, we commit to respect the dignity of every human being. We do not make a distinction between Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We do not make a distinction between any of the categories among human beings that are exploited, that are exploited to degrade and dehumanize. In the light of all this, the task of the church in the face of injustice is is threefold. First, we must look to hold the state accountable, calling on it to fulfill its purpose to promote the common good. That is the task of government, to promote the common good. We must hold the state responsible and accountable. Secondly, we must, must care for the victims of injustice and oppression. Our task is always to stand with those who are oppressed. And finally, finally, the third thing we must do is that we must be willing to, to nonviolently confront the powers that be with direct activism and action. Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great 20th century theologian, once wrote, our task is, quote, not just to bandage the victims under the wheel, but to jam a spoke in the wheel itself. In God's new creation, we make no distinctions among people. Each and every person is beloved by God. Each and every person is created with an inherent dignity. Our task, our task as followers of Christ, our task as the church, is to bear witness and to work for a world where human beings can flourish and the common good is promoted. Our task, our task is to answer God's call and proclaim the dignity of every, every, every single human being. Amen.